Now, to start our um, sermon off today, I've asked a couple guys to come up and help me with a little part of this, the introduction. So, um, Sasha and Steve, if you guys would come up. Steve, please wear your hat. Um, this is going to make it all that much better. We didn't, we didn't, um, I didn't ask him to do this, but when I saw him walk in, I said, you're the guy for this. So, we are starting off with a competition. The competition is Bad Dad Jokes. <clears throat> I'm perfect for that. You, you guys might not need. You guys might not need these even, but I'm going to give these to you to read because the jokes are going to be on the screen, so everybody can see them as well. Um, but um, Sasha, if you'd go first, see if you can get Steve to laugh at these, and just go one at a time down the list. So you, you go for it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, what kind of car does an egg drive? A Volkswagen. That was that was good. That was a start. Okay, okay, go ahead. Why do chicken coops only have two doors? No idea. Because if they had four doors, they would be a sedan. <laughs> yes, they would. Okay, how do you make a Kleenex dance? Oh, you heard. <laughs> no, here, I he's, see he's like, here, hold I'm this. afraid to have. Put a little boogie in it. Put a little boogie in it. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay. We can't use these afterwards, right? Yes, you can. You can take these if you want. Okay. <laughs> what do you call a boomerang that doesn't come back? No idea. A stick. <laughs> there we go. That's a good All right, one. we got one. That's a good one. We got one here. That's you got point one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Why can't T-Rexes clap their hands? I love it when the robbers. Because my head's too big and my arms are too short. Uh, Almost right. No. Because they're extinct. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Steve. Okay. All right. That was a duh. What did the buffalo say to his son when he left for college? Come on. What did the buffalo say to his son when he left to college? I have no idea. Bison. Bison. <laughs> yes. You might get two points on that. It was close. That was a close one. Okay. What do ballerinas take for transportation? The tutu train. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sasha gets a point. All right. Well, we're going to give him one on that one. Tutu train. Yep. <laughs> What sounds does a nut make when it sneezes? Cashew. Cashew. There you go. All right. You can use that one later if you need to. All right. Where'd you get these jokes? (laughs) I'm not telling. Okay. Okay. Just saying. Did you try them on your family first? (laughs) We did, yes. My condolences. <laughs> Why was the man fired from the orange juice factory? Because he couldn't concentrate. <laughs> That's true. It's a true story, Steve. All right. Okay. How, do, how does an Eskimo build his home? With ice, I assume? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. It glues together. It glues it together, yeah. Okay, nothing, all right. I didn't write these jokes. No. What do you call an alligator that wears a vest? An alligator that wears a vest. I don't know. An investigator. Uh-huh. Of course you do. Amazing. Okay. Couple right. more. What airline did Joseph and Mary take? This is a Christmas one. Yeah. What airline did Joseph and Mary take? Air Bethlehem? I don't know. <laughs> You're getting a point, and it's his joke. All right. Virgin Airline. <laughs> yes. Of course it is. It's, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Okay. So what do you call a person who doesn't believe in Santa Claus? Scrooge. Agnostic. Agnostic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Last one. Here we go. Why, why do you call a magic... What do you call a magic dog? A magic dog? A magic dog. No idea. Can you get it? Neither can I. A labracadabra door. A labracadabra door. Let's track that. We'll, we'll, we'll use that one. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's a bad one. That's a bad one. All right. That was a bad one. We'll, we'll call it a tie on both of those. Guys, thank you. All right. I won't share any more. I promise. Um, th- this is it, though. Our dads aren't perfect, right? Dads are not perfect, and mostly because we tell stupid jokes, and we love them. Maybe your dad had one. You have one your dad said all the time when you were growing up. Like, Dad, did you get your hair cut? No. I got them all cut. Right? Okay, maybe some... It's not very good either. I just promised I wouldn't say any, and there I did. Um, it's, it's what we do. It's who we are. We have to do these things to make our kids embarrassed of us, right? But it shows that we're not perfect. So we're in this series right now called Unto Us. And it's taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and it's this promise of what God has given to us through Jesus, his son. So unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace." And there's been a lot of debate in the scholarly world of biblical interpretation of what this verse really means. And there's been a lot of debate on this or that or these names of Jesus, and it's gone back and forth. There's the first one, Wonderful Counselor. We studied this this first week that we did this series. In the King James Version, there's a comma between Wonderful and Counselor. And so the question is, should there be a comma? What makes a difference if there is a comma? Is he wonderful? Is he wonderful counselor? Is he just counselor? And the answer is yes. He, he is all of those things. Um, then we talked last week about mighty God. This is a stumbling block for many. In fact, it was a stumbling block for many during the time of Jesus. This is actually what got him crucified because he claimed to be God. And they said, you can't do that. That's blasphemy. But it goes back to this verse in Isaiah where the prophet called him God, mighty God. And today we're looking at this one, everlasting father. Um, This is not a name for God, mind you. 
Because oftentimes we will do this. We'll, when we pray, we will pray to the Heavenly Father. And when we do that, we're referring to God, the Father. Where Isaiah, when he talks about it here, he's referring to a name of Jesus. He's calling Jesus the Mighty Father. And this is a teaching of the Trinity, and this is a tough one as well. One of the hardest um, theology understandings to grasp, for us to, to really get hold of, because it, it might go beyond what our human brains can even comprehend and understand. That God is God, God is also Son, God is also the Spirit, but yet they are also all separate things. You know, how can that be? And there's people that have tried to explain this in our own terms, using things that we can see and touch and feel, like with water, the three stages of water. There's a solid, which is ice, there's a liquid, and there's a vapor. But that theory doesn't hold water, all right? So, intended, I, okay, I'm done. Um, there, there's holes in that one. We can find ways it doesn't exactly fit the Trinity. There's the egg illustration. Many of you may have heard this one for the Trinity. We have an egg, and there's the shell. There's the egg white. There's also the egg yolk. Three different things, but yet it's all one thing. However, there, there's something, too, that's not quite like the Trinity. Or like myself, I'm a father. I am a son. I'm also a husband. I'm one person, but yet I play different roles and different functions. But yet all of these leave us short. There's somewhere in those illustrations that leave us short of understanding completely what the Trinity is about. And the best illustration that, that I see in Scripture is during the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, there is Jesus, the Son. There's the Father who is speaking. I'm, I'm well pleased with my Son. There's also then the dove that comes down, and that is the Spirit. They're all three there, all three separate, but yet they all three represent the same thing. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verse 30. He said that I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. All the fullness of God, all the fullness of who God is, is in Jesus. He is God. And this is important for us to understand that his name is Everlasting Father, that he is also the Father. It's important for us to see because if not, we'll get stuck in what we've inherited. And this goes back to Genesis. In, in the book of Genesis, when we study this and we look at the fall of mankind, Adam, we go back and we see that we are all descendants from that one man. When God created Adam, all mankind came from that creation. When he created Adam, then we all inherited something from him. Who we are comes from what God created in Adam. And when Adam sinned, it changed the course of history changed mankind. The fall of mankind is a major part of the narrative of God. It's a major part of our story and who we are. Because when Adam rebelled against God, it created then this sin nature that has lasted throughout eternity. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death has spread to all men, because all have sinned. We have inherited something from Adam. It's called a sin nature. And it's our desire to call our own shots. It's our desire to do what we want to do. This is what Adam did. He was told not to eat from that tree, right? And he, and he did. He said, it looks good. I can, 
I'm going to, I can do this. I can get away with it. I'm fine. I don't need to obey. And he rebelled against God's instructions. And ever since then, we continue to do the same thing. We continue to think we can do it our own. If you don't believe in um, this theory, this major part of the teaching that we've inherited sin, just spend a few hours with a two-year-old and see if you will understand this differently. They want to do it themselves, right? I want to do it myself. No matter what mom and dad says, I think I got this figured out. And we continue that in our lives, thinking that we know better than God does. And I can do it better than he teaches me. And so we've rebelled against God. We call our own shots. And that is sin. It's our nature. It's who we are. This means that our dads, our earthly dads, are sinful people. And we inherit that and it continues to go. Now to many, this is where the concept of an everlasting father is the hardest to accept. It's hard for us to accept an everlasting father and to call him father if we don't have a good relationship with our earthly father because we make that connection. We compare the two together. And one, that's not fair to me as a dad to compare me to Jesus. That's a tough one to follow. It's also not fair to Jesus to compare him to me as a father. And so we have to learn to separate the two. Sociologist Vern Bingston once said in in his book, Families and Faith, he talks about this way. He says, studies conclusively show that the quality of a child's relationship to the father is the single most important factor in whether the child adopts the faith of the parents. Not just the faith of the father, the faith of the parents. The single most important factor is the relationship between the child and their father. Eric Metaxas, he pointed out that almost all of the famous atheists in modern times, Freud, Nietzsche, Hume, um, Bertrand Russell, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, all of them had one thing in common, an absentee father, or they had a traumatic relationship with their fathers. Sigmund Freud, he wrote about it this way. He said, nothing is more common than for a young person to lose faith in God when he loses respect for his father. Now, that's some um, religion studies. Let me step out of this for just a second. Beyond our faith, our relationship with our dads can be the most shaping influence in our lives. National statistics, just in general, 71% of all high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of all teenagers in substance abuse centers are from fatherless homes. There was one California study that was done soon, um, recently that noted that 98% of its discipline issues were caused by emotionally damaged young boys whose common characteristics was a fatherless home. Focus on the family. Um, this is a little bit of an older study. I've used some of these statistics before, and um, I think I've used a little bit different numbers in this. Focus on the family did this study um, to clarify it that if a child comes to faith in Christ first out of their family, if they're the first one to come to faith, there is a 3.5% chance that that child will bring the rest of the family to faith in God. However, if a mom is the first one to come to faith in Christ, it increases quite a bit. It goes to 17%. There's a 17% chance that that mom will bring the rest of the family to faith in Christ. But if the father is one to Christ first, there's a 93% chance 
that the rest of the family will follow. Guys, it's so important for us to understand that, to do things that are important to bring the whole family along. So I want to do this this morning. I want to identify three types of father wounds that we might have, that we carry with us, that um, might break how we understand our Heavenly Father, how we understand um, the everlasting Father. Um, a lot of this is coming from a book called The Father Factor. And I know this, this might bring up some difficulties for some of you, some bad memories of your childhood. Um, I don't mean this to bring up bad memories of your childhood I don't want you to leave away from here discouraged in your dad. I don't want to pick on us as dads either and make you feel less worthy of a dad or that you're not good enough as a dad. Our goal this morning is to look at Jesus. Our goal this morning is so that when you leave, you can see that Jesus has come to be our everlasting father and how important that is and what he does to close that gap when we can't do it as fathers. So maybe you grew up with this dad, the never satisfied dad. Maybe that was you growing up. You just, you tried, you tried all that you can do. You did as much as you possibly could. You worked really hard to get your dad's approval and it just didn't come. No matter how good you were, no matter how much you did, you never heard it from him. You never heard, good job, I'm proud of you. If that was you, this probably affects all of your relationships since childhood. This probably affects how you relate to your boss now. Whether that is a male or female, it doesn't matter. It's somebody that's in a position over you. Maybe it's your spouse that you are wanting them to fill that role and you're wanting to please them. You're wanting to satisfy that need in you um, by trying to please them because you never felt like you were good enough for someone else. And you're looking for someone else to fill that role for you. Someone else, your boss, your spouse, your friends to tell you, good job, I'm proud of you. Let's look at our everlasting Father and what He does. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 4, I actually have this verse um, taped to my desk. It's kind of tucked away and hidden. It's not out for everyone to see. It's for me to be a reminder. Isaiah 43, 4, the prophet, he tells us that when God looks at us, he says, you are precious in my sight, and I love you. Anyone called you precious before? Have you ever had anyone say you were precious to me? If you haven't, it's a pretty powerful word. Turn to Isaiah 43 sometime. Read that. And read it as a letter that God, your Father, your Heavenly Father, your everlasting Father is writing to you. And read it to you. You are precious. And I love you. Isaiah the prophet, again, in chapter 49, verse 15, he talks about this. Um, he, he tells us that he pays attention to us more than a mother thinks about her newborn infant. Mom's in the room. When you gave birth to your first child, those next few weeks, how many times, how often, how much did you think about that baby? All the time, right? Could you ever get that baby out of your mind Isaiah 49, verse 15, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Well, yeah, 
even these may forget. But here's a promise to you. He says, I will never forget you. As your everlasting father, I will never forget you. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will um, quiet you with his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. He wants to make you feel special. He wants you to feel special, and he will do what it takes so that you know that you have an everlasting father that cares and that loves you and that's satisfied in just who you are. But maybe for you it wasn't that. It was the time bomb dad. Did did any of you have the time bomb dad, the dad that you just, you didn't know what to expect? You weren't sure what you were walking into when you came home or when he came home. Was he going to be excited? Was he going to be happy? Was he going to be sad? Was he going to be frustrated? Was he going to be mad? Was he going to yell at you for no reason at all? You just were not sure what was going to happen. And the emotions were extreme in that. And because of that, you were scared of him. You were, you were just frightened. You weren't sure, therefore, you didn't know what to expect. It could have been because of addiction. It could have been, um, there could have been abuse that was a part of this. And maybe, maybe it was not his fault. Maybe it was something else that was affecting him, causing him to be this way. But maybe it was his fault. And no matter what, his actions, he has to be responsible for us. So it was his fault. But it doesn't matter whose fault it is because you always felt like it was your fault. No matter what happened, you thought you were the one to blame and it was your fault for that. Therefore, growing up through life, you might have become somewhat of a control freak. You now want to control every situation because you didn't know what was going to happen next. So now you want to control everything. And since you don't know what's coming, you want to make sure that you've got control of whatever situation is going on around you, whether that's at work or at home in relationships, you want to be the one in control because you're scared of what might happen. Therefore, you have a hard time trusting anyone, co-workers, other family members, friends, spouse. You have a hard time trusting even father figures to you. And you have a hard time trusting your everlasting Father. He says in Psalm 103, verse 8, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. It's important, I think, for you to see this morning. He is slow to anger. He loves you, and you can trust his emotions. You can trust his guidance. You can trust his discipline. Yeah, a loving father, a caring father will discipline his children. Not for his own benefit, but for theirs. I discipline my kids because I care about them and I want them to grow up properly and right. I don't always do it right or correctly, but with God, we know it's perfect. He will still discipline us, but when he does, it's for us because he cares for us and he loves us and we can trust that he will do that in a proper way. Look at this one, one more. Um, The emotionally distant dad. Or maybe it was the absentee dad for you. Either way, maybe your dad was there, but he wasn't really there. He, He was at home when you were growing up, but he never really checked in with you. He never really made a connection, a relationship with you. Or he was gone, just completely left. You grew up in a fatherless home. Maybe there was abuse, maybe there was not abuse. 
But an empty relationship with your dad can leave you with empty relationships with everyone else in your life. Maybe that's how you live now. You live with the expectations of disappointment. You live with the concept and idea that it doesn't matter because they're probably going to leave you someday. They're probably not going to connect with you. Therefore, you never give yourself and you never trust someone else with your heart and who you are because you don't want it to be abandoned. That's not true with our everlasting father. That's not who he is. And the story of the prodigal son, I think, gives us that perfect illustration of this. This is a story about a son who ran away from his father, but about a father who stood by the door and waited and looked and daily anticipated the time when his son would come back. He was so excited to rebuild that relationship that he wanted his son to come back, and he longed for that. He watched and he waited. John Piper, he says that nearly every other parable of Jesus that Jesus teaches us, he ends by giving his hearers something to do. Jesus will tell a story, and then he says, now go and do likewise. But in the parable of the prodigal son, there's no action step. There's nothing for us to learn and say, now go and do this. I think the story of the prodigal son is there for us to say, just stop and worship a God, a father who wants you to be in relationship with him, who is waiting for you to come home, who loves you so much and cares for you that he's not distant, he's not absent, he is there and he wants you. First John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love that the father has bestowed on us. And it's our job just to worship him. Hebrews 13, 5, he tells us, I will never leave you or forsake you. So let me remind you, dads in the room, all of us, this is not a time for me to shame you or to bring up old wounds or to remind you of how weak and, and um, how short we fall as being fathers. It's for us to be reminded of who Jesus is that he is our everlasting father. So if Adam and us as physical fathers, if from Adam we inherit sin, we don't have a choice in that. We just inherit it. It just comes to us without an option. Through Jesus as our spiritual father, we get something else. If Adam is our physical father, we inherited sin. Jesus then becomes our spiritual father, and we get righteousness from him. And Jesus never sinned. Therefore, he never inherited the sin nature from Adam. This is why the virgin birth is so important to our theology. When we study this at Christmas time, we can't skip over that fact. We've got to stop and think about that. Jesus was born to a virgin. Therefore, he did not inherit what Adam passed down. Therefore, he was perfect. He was sinless. And therefore, we get righteousness from him. Romans 6, 23, it tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus because of who he was. Romans 5, 18 says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that's what we get from Adam. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That's what we get from Jesus. What we get from Adam is death because through our sin we die. But because of Jesus, we have everlasting life from our Father. 
Now, through this time um, at Christmas, we often sing familiar songs, songs that have been passed down for generations. There are songs that maybe we sing without thinking of the words. We just like the melody, and we sing along because they're familiar to us. But there's one song that we're going to sing here in just a minute that I think is, is so important to our theology. It's packed full of theological statements that if you stop and listen to the words, you can understand who your father is in this. Hark the Herald Angels Sing might be a song that you need to stop and listen to the words. Sing the words as we sing them out with an understanding of who our Heavenly Father is. God and sinners reconciled. This is where God and Jesus, our sinful life and who we are, God brings us back together with him. And we're reconciled to him. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give us second birth. What Jesus did for us is explained in this song. That he is our everlasting father. And from him we get that everlasting life. Now here's the deal. Like I just said, from Adam, we don't have a choice. We inherited something from him, sin. It's who we are. But what we get from Jesus is a choice. You have to choose for him to be your heavenly father. You don't just inherit it. You get adopted into that relationship. And he says, I love you so much that I want you to choose me. I want you to choose for me to be your heavenly father, your everlasting father. And when you are adopted into that, then you inherit that righteousness that comes from him. And because he was perfect, we can have everlasting life with our everlasting father. If you've never accepted that, if you don't know who he is, I want to share that with you. This might be the time. For you to say, I never understood it like that. I want that. For some, though, you're like, yep, I know. Then let's stand and let's sing this song with confidence, knowing that he gave his life for us, and he is our everlasting father. If you would, let's stand together and sing.